Thanks for listening to the Grace First podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us Sundays at 1015. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk 3. I uh, just want to say this real quick. Um, sometimes as a parent, you get a little embarrassed when your kids say stuff, but I wish more adults shout it out with excitement that they know the answer to who <laughs> reigns. And I'm being serious about that. That literally was awesome, and uh, I appreciate that little heart so much. So um, anyway, I rejoice in that. We are worshiping with Genesis next week. I'm excited about that too. Um, Abdel and I were joking back and forth a little bit about, you know, if the Spirit's really moving, uh, we might even get to clap. Uh, and if he's really moving... You'll clap on time, so, <clears throat> but we'll see how that goes. But we are excited for that, so plan to be a part of that. That is here at the church, uh, and it's always great to fellowship with. And then Ryan McCart, our missionary that we support in uh, Juarez, will be here, and he, they're going to make tamales for us, uh, and I even said that correctly, so there you go. But this morning, as we look at Habakkuk 3, we're taking a, um, a final look at Habakkuk. We're going to look at the last chapter here. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, you've got the perspective of everything that's going on and all the hardships, and Habakkuk's angry, and he's wanting an answer, and then God responds with an answer that he doesn't want, and then Habakkuk responds back, and then God responds uh, very forcefully with a set of woes. Yeah, you may be upset that Babylon's coming to do this, and they will be punished. There will be many things that they will have to face. I am the Lord, your God. And so, What we have here is the book opens with gloom, but it's going to close with glory. It opens with a question mark, but it closes with an exclamation point. It begins with doubt, but it ends with confidence. It begins with complaints, but it ends with celebration. It begins with Habakkuk singing the blues, but it closes in the last part with what scholars will call a hymn of faith. So all of it's a great perspective for us to look at how these events are unfolding and how God is unveiling his plan. And yet, while all the things are going to still happen and circumstances won't change, we see in chapter 1 and 2 that he's frustrated looking for an answer. But now in chapter 3, we'll see that even though the answer is not what he wants, he still recognizes that God is God. And he tells them, remember, we talked about this last week a little bit, and and at the beginning of verse 2, he basically, or chapter 2, he says, uh, I'm going to stand, I'm going to take my station on the, on the tower. I'm going to look to see what you will say to me, and then I will give my answer. And this is a common thing. It's common for um, prophets to be seen as watchmen on towers. This is a common language to be used in the Old Testament. But I love how he says, and I will watch and see how I will respond. And when God gives him his response, Habakkuk's response back to God is worship. So let's read, uh, starting in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, and then we'll get into the sermon today. So, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. 
Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. You came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses and the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. God, as always, we come before you uh, now and we want to hear from you. Uh, We have read your word. We will read it again in different places. Uh, But Lord, Spirit, we pray that you move mightily. We know that you're here Um, We know that you are active and engaged. We know, God, that that's not some sort of hyper-spirituality, but, God, you have promised us in your word that that is true. Lord, I pray that you move in uh, our hearts and lives, and, Lord, that you would show us what it is from your word that you would have us to know and to grow us uh, to be more like you in our lives. And, Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we're looking at Habakkuk 3, there's three things that I kind of want to use to wrap up all of Habakkuk together. So it's not just just the chapter of 3, but all of it together. And the very first point that I want to talk about is the reality of a life of faith. The reality of a life of faith. If you've been a believer, if you are a believer, you've been a believer for any length of time, these things that we've been reading about, the things that Habakkuk is going through, the things that he's saying, God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to the righteous? I think we've done a good job of being good. Why are bad things happening to us? Why don't you judge the bad? He's asking the questions of all these things that have happened to us, Lord. Why is this happening to me? And so we've had these issues. We've had these thoughts. In a reality of life, of faith, these things don't go away. It's not all hunky-dory, to use a former phrase. We've experienced pain. 
We've asked God in the midst of that pain or that confusion or that suffering or whatever season that you might be talking about or thinking about. We've wondered, where are you during this pain, Lord? And the good news is that we are free to take our questions to God. Each, every, and any question that we have, we are free to take it to God. The bad news is that God is free to refuse the answer that we want or the answer that we think we need. The reality is in a life of faith, we must hold fast to what and whom we know to be true. Our position at Grace First as we study through the word and we teach the word of God is that the Bible is God's word. It's not, some of it sounds like God's word, some of it might be God's word, or we take the bulk of it and some of it we can kind of figure out as we go. The Bible is God's word. We start from that position always. God in his word has said exactly what he wants to say and as much as he has to say to us, even though it might be frustrating. Would I have liked for him to inspire the writers to tell us exactly how certain things took place Throughout history, the beginning, would I really like to know all the details of the end? Yeah, all that would be awesome, but he has said exactly what he wants to say and as much as he wants to say, and he said it in the form that he wants to say it. We will begin there always. It's his word. We stand with confidence only because an eternal God's word is where we stand. Kevin DeYoung uh, is one of my favorite writers. In fact, I'm rereading another book that he had, has written. I'm, I'm going to order some copies and put it on a resource table as well. But it's taking God at his word. Every bit of it. All of it. Kevin DeYoung said in his book, the Bible is knowable, necessary, and enough. Most that are here this morning land there. I know that a lot of you do. Some don't. That's in a group of people. You're going to have some that don't necessarily land there. A high view of God's scripture, though, and we need to make sure we understand this. When we talk about a high view, it means that we put it in a high place. There's been a lot of people out there lately for some reason, and and again, I read a lot of things, and I'm in different places that I'm reading these things, and maybe you're not seeing it. You're like, because I did have one person go, you say that these things are being said a lot. I never see that stuff. Well, I mean, if you're not reading certain things, you're probably not going to see it. It's not like your neighbor's saying it, probably. But a lot of people are, are making comments about the fact that you can... You need to stop worshiping the Bible. You can give too much credit to the Bible. Jesus gave lots of information to us that he knew the Bible and had a high regard for the word. Turns out he is the word. And so he was there as it was being poured out. It was there when it was being inspired. It is about him, for him, and to him. I don't think we can give it enough priority. I'm just going to throw that out there, and that's where I lean always. But a high view of Scripture involves not just quoting the Bible when it's convenient, but submitting to it when it's not convenient. J.I. Packer, uh, who's a person I highly respect in a lot of ways, and I've read a lot of his stuff, but I was looking for something. You ever feel like you're like trying to say something? And you got the, you got, I can't figure out how to say it right. And then somebody or like a word comes, or you read something, or somebody comes along and says it. You're like, you said it exactly like I wanted to say it, but I'm not smart enough to say it that way. That's what I'm about to read. 
God then does not preface to answer in Scripture all the questions that we, in our boundless curiosity, would like to ask about Scripture. He tells us merely as much as he sees we need to know as a basis for our life of faith. And he leaves us unsolved some of the problems raised by what he tells us in order to teach us a humble trust in his veracity. The question, therefore, that we must ask ourselves when faced with these puzzles is not, is it reasonable to imagine that this is so, but is it reasonable to accept God's assurance that this is so? Is it reasonable to take God's word and believe that he has spoken the truth even though I cannot fully comprehend what he has said? The question carries its own answer. We should not abandon faith in anything God has taught us merely because we cannot solve all the problems which it raises. Our own intellectual competence is not the test and measure of divine truth. I'm going to read that one again because that hit home really hard this week. Our own intellectual competence is not the test and measure of divine truth. It is not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. What a powerful way to wrap up what we've kind of seen what's going on with Habakkuk. He's looking for the intellectual information that he can process why this is good and why God would do such a thing when that's not the measure of what God measures in the divinity of everything that he's going to do for all eternity. And so faith throughout the Bible leads men and women to see God more fully through their trials and tribulations. Those of us who have been through a trial and tribulation, a lot of us can attest to this. You've been through something horrific, something terrible, and even though you still struggle, even though it was really hard. In fact, it may have just absolutely ripped a piece of you out. You have seen God in such a way that you would have never seen otherwise through that tri- unless you went through that trial and tribulation. And we see all the time that Abraham had to go and take uh, his son. We see that Moses had to go through certain things. We see there's lots of people who face trials and tribulations and issues that take place. And we see that God then honors that and uses it for his glory and his purposes. I mean, we even talked about it this morning that um, I, I just, I'm, I'm at awe of God. And it's one of those things where we see God's hands move in a mighty way through prayer that we, our jaws drop and it's like, but I do this all the time. Like praying for the morrow's daughter-in-law. When we first got the news that something was going on, there was not a very high likelihood of her surviving, period. In fact, they tried to send her home and just please go home and you, you're, you'll have to die there. She went home, but she's on the mend God has healed in a way that they could have never comprehended. Like, we see his hand move in such a way throughout his purposes and for his good and for his glory. And there are many times that living out a life of faith will require us to walk through the valleys of uncertainty. It's going to happen. Every person will have to go through these things. The thing is, is that as people of belief, of faith, Habakkuk, Never questioned that God was God. He's just like, I don't get it. Where are you? Answer me. Why? People of faith should respond differently to these trials. People without faith don't know that there's hope beyond the tomorrow that they hope comes. When in fact that if tonight I die and that ends, my hope has become immeasurably more. It didn't die with my death. 
the hope that comes through our faith in God as believers must remain, even in times of uncertainty. And it doesn't remove the difficulties for us, as we talked about last week, but the unfolding of events is not outside of the eternal God. Remember, it's not a bucket of answers that's lowered to us. It's a scroll that's being revealed graciously and over time. And we should not, as believers, give the impression to the people that are around us that our troubles are gone. I went to a Christian college. If you'd ever like to see Christianity played out in a weird way, uh, attend some certain different Christian colleges. Not, not all of them. And the one I went to was a really good college. But then people become some sort of hyper-spiritual person at these colleges where it's like, oh, yeah, I love Jesus and all my problems are gone. I, I don't know that Jesus and I don't know that Bible. Um, you're going to have to show that to me. The world doesn't need to see that. And the world calls out that kind of junk every time. We should, however, show how we get from our struggle and uncertainty to worship and praise in the midst of those things. A life of faith is is a life that's lived out in a way that no matter what trials or tribulations or what good and great things are happening, that we see it all wrapped up together in the midst of a truth that God is in control of all these things, and I will worship him in the midst of either end of that or anywhere in between. How we cry out to our sovereign Lord during our trials matters. It matters that we cry out. It matters that we see our sovereign Lord in this way. I mean, if you're happy-go-lucky and everything is wonderful and and, and pie in the sky all the time, um, your neighbor doesn't see it that way when their kids are driving them insane. As a believer... My kids drive me insane. Parents laugh. Kids cringe. It's all right. But it's true. We need to show that in the midst of our pain and our sorrow that we cry out and worship to a God who we know that holds it all in his hands anyway. That our answers are not because of changed circumstances, but in the promises of God And the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow is not just a passage of scripture that we should learn in Sunday school and tag on our walls. It is instead a reality to grip our spirit, a fact that undergirds us in times of trial. So when I say the reality of a life of faith, there's a lot of great things that come with that, and you know that, I know that. There's so many ways that God has changed me over time, and there's a lot of things within me that I wish God would change faster. My wife would concur. There's a lot of things that we go through that are just absolute blessings. But there's also the other side of that where we show in our life of faith how we truly walk out our faith. There's a lot of people who once they hit the ground with their uh, new faith or if they have some sort of faith and they face the trials and struggles of this world, then drop that faith because clearly God wasn't strong enough to handle these things. When in reality... If we're rooted and grounded in God, if rooted and grounded in his word, in the midst of those things, we can hold fast to him. And so, point two, our lives should be marked with worship then. Again, I never want to minimize what you've gone through or what you are currently going through. There's people in this room, and I always sit in the back, and people probably wonder, why in the world does the pastor sit in the back? If you grew up going to church, especially the Baptist church that we always went to, the pastor sat in the front so you could see how holy he was, right? I sit in the back 
And I was thinking today as I was looking at people walking in and as God was bringing people to mind, like I was praying for those things. I was praying for some of your kids while I was looking at people throughout the room. Again, this isn't a holy thing. This is how God uses relationships with you and uses our time together in the body as we worship together that I get the chance to pray for you. Uh, Some of you, I prayed for your elderly parents. Some of you, I was praying for um, the, the pain and issues that you're going through physically. I don't want to minimize the things that you've gone through or are going through. I prayerfully consider those things, and I pray that you do the same for my family. But in the midst of those things, part of my prayer has been, as we've been doing Habakkuk and also Acts, is that as you're going through those things, my prayer is that you will see how to worship God in those things. Because that's my prayer for myself as well. How do I worship and praise in the midst of X, Y, Z that's going on? Because our lives should be marked with worship. I mean, here in chapter 3, we see a drastic difference in the attitude of uh, Habakkuk. We see that he has gone from, how long, and why are you doing this, and why don't you punish, and whatever else. And now look at his response. I will wait, and I will rejoice. Did he get an answer to his cry? Yes. Did he get the answer that he wanted? No. Did his circumstances change? Because that's fine. Like, if I don't get the answer that I want, but my circumstances got better, a lot of times I'm like, that's all right. That works. His circumstances didn't get better. And they weren't going to get immediately better. And they didn't change at all for him. But God displayed himself in his answers and the vision that he gave Habakkuk. And because of that vision and because of the assurance of who he knows God to be, He rejoices. I will rejoice in my Lord. That's why when we read Job 15, we can see that when Job 15, we read what he says, though you slay me, still I will praise you. Think of all the things that Job had to go through, all the things that he was wrestling through, all all the struggles that he had dealt with. And he says, though you slay me, I will rejoice in you. 2 Corinthians 4 has been a, a favorite of mine for a long time, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Uh, but here, 16 through 17, I thought was very pertinent. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When we have the eternal in mind, when we see that God is work for the eternal things in mind, we can say for our light and momentary troubles, and I will worship you. I mean, Habakkuk's response in the, is in stark contrast to what the idols cause us to do. Did you notice at the end of chapter 2 it says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Imagine believing that an idol would come to life. Imagine the fact that we as people have created idols. All throughout history, people have created idols. Some of us have built something or created something and actually have it in front of us, and we worship it, and we pray to it, and we think about it. Some of us have created idols of things or people in our own lives, and that has become what we worship or think about the most But imagine creating in your own mind, with your own hands, a God that you are going to worship. I hope that sounds silly. Like, I hope that thinking the fact that, like, if I carve this or or 
chisel it out of, of stone or if I carve this out of wood or if I have this picture or whatever else that I have, if I look at this and I worship that thing, that sounds ridiculous. And I always am amazed as you read through the Old Testament that there's all these times where like God shows himself huge to people who are worshiping idols. I mean, one of the prophets even taunts, and if you don't believe me, go look it up. The other people, because their God won't show up to burn their offering. What's your God doing? Is he in the bathroom? How in the world do these people not turn when they see the hand of God act and move in such a mighty way when their goofy God of wood is nowhere to be found? And yet we do this in our own lives, and people do this still today. What we've done is create something that we can stand in power and manipulate. All you've done in your idol worship is create something that you stand in authority of, that you can turn the other way when you don't want it to see what you're doing, that you can be the master over. You've settled the master issue in your own life if you worship idols. And again, I'm not saying that you have an idol in your house, but there is something or someone or time or money or whatever else that is at the forefront of everything that you do, and that is your idol and the thing that you worship. Basically, you're telling that thing, you are the master of me. And you've created a deity of your own affections. Who would ever stand in attention for a block of wood, is what H.B. Charles asks. Who would ever stand at attention for a block of wood? Who would ever stand at attention for a carved stone? Who falls on their face in awe to worship something they have created? A fool. Some of you guys actually studied this this morning, which is super applicable. But in Romans 1, starting in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged, key word, exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal, uh, the glory of the immortal God for images, for desires. I'm adding the desires and things. For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You've exchanged it. He gave you the opportunity for the most perfect gift ever. The most beautiful thing that could ever be possessed is salvation through Christ, through the blood of Christ. And you have taken that offer, that gift, and exchanged it for crap. Oh, is that a bad word? Sorry, some of your parents. Sorry. Sorry, some parents. You've exchanged it for that. That's what you've given it over to. However, Habakkuk is responding to Yahweh. What does he say? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Habakkuk is responding to Yahweh here. He is worshiping the holy God who has responded, who does do all things that he has said he will do, and who controls all things in his hand. 
verse 3 through 7. He is recalling God's hand in Israel's history. We see that through the verses that he's talking about what took place in their history as far as bringing them out of Egypt or experiencing different things or, or walking across dry land when he pulls back the water. I mean, he's talking about all the ways in God, which God has used his power to lead and guide Israel in such a way. And yet they didn't always worship him. And then in 8 through 15, how God has acted on the earth, the things that he has done, the way he has created things, that God controls all things in creation, that nothing stands over the creator. He moves the seas as he desires to move the seas. He places the land as he desires to place the land. He pulls back the rivers if he wants people to cross the river. And when the mountains hear his voice, they tremble. Creation trembles at the voice of the Lord because they bow to their creator and the awe and worship that they have of him. And God is to whom and from whom all history flows and all things of creation recognize this. This is the God that Habakkuk is talking to and worshiping. This is the reason why he turns and has a heart of worship. This is why we should have a heart and desire for worship in our own lives, no matter what is going on. It should mark us that our lives are marked by worship. People should see in the midst of everything that we go through, there's something different there because they seem to be marked by something else other than what the world sees as good or valuable. And then in verses 16 through 19, we see a right response by Habakkuk to the, to the Lord, right? I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. When, when we are before the Lord and we have a right response and understanding of who God is, we should have a healthy fear of the Lord. And again, we get the idea of fear wrong there. It's not that I'm afraid he's going to hit me with a lightning bolt all the time. But it's an awe of knowing who he is and how he stands in all of eternity. Then we see what a commitment to faith looks like and sounds like in verses 17. Even though everything bad that could possibly happen happens, right? He is listing off. Now, for today, this isn't necessarily the list we're going to have. I don't have a lot of vines. I don't have olives. I don't have animals to put in barns. But for the people back then, he is basically what he's doing here and what we can see the perspective of it. He's listing everything that could possibly go wrong has gone wrong. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He's listed every bad thing. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Our worship should not be based on our circumstances. Please hear this. Please know that this is something significant we should draw from the word of God. Your circumstances are not the basis for if you worship Lord or not. Chapters 1 and 2 struggles are still going on in Habakkuk's life as this is being written down. He still knows the future of what will happen to the people of Judah. He still knows how Babylon is going to come in. All those things haven't left. It's not like his circumstances changed. They are still there Yet he understands and is in awe of God more fully and yet returns and rolls back worship despite his circumstances. 
I mean, you might be in the midst of seeing blessing upon blessing upon blessing and things are great. Or you might be on the complete other end of that and going through hardship, illness, strife, and struggle. And what I need to encourage you and what you need to always be encouraged of and to do is to worship. There is an unknowable peace by people who don't know God or people who don't know his word. There's a lot of Christians who don't read the word of God very much. So there's no relationship. So there's no relationship that in the midst of it, when I cry out to him, I read his word and he comes back to me, be courageous, be still. I am for you. I am not against you. I have saved you for a purpose. There's, there's so many things that he comes back with our cries of hardship that I can hold fast and see what the Lord will do. That I don't stop believing that the sun doesn't exist every night. And I don't stop believing God is not God because his answers seem slow. Remember, we don't worship with a worthless hope. We worship with eternity in mind and in thankfulness that he holds us. If we determine when we will worship or withhold our worship, we are telling him when he is worth it. If we determine when we will worship or we determine that we will withhold our worship, we tell him when he is worth it. Like we talked about, like I just read in Romans, don't exchange. Don't exchange God with anything. So three, where does my help come from? This beautiful song from the heart of Habakkuk reminds us who, we, who really holds all things. This is beautiful to listen to him roll this out. I mean, he says in verse 2, in your wrath, remember your mercy. That's a big statement for him to make, especially last week we talked about. Remember, he will have no way to see the way God is going to fully answer this 700 years later in the death of Jesus on the cross. So the answer to his, to his statement or his plea in verse 2, in wrath, remember mercy, will not be fully realized or fully answered for 700 years. But God will answer it and answer it in full at the cross. But how do we, live, how do we have faith? Where can I find strength when chapters 1 and 2 things are going on in your life? When you are suffering, when you are going through pain, when your kids are going through pain, when the things are really coming in around you, how do I find strength? When chapter 1 and 2 things are real and present, when Babylon seems to be coming, right? We're not reading ourselves into the, into the passage. We're just talking about the things that we know are true for us. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a conspiracy of trust. Faith doesn't need assurance. It is the assurance of unseen things. That's the kind of faith that he has here. In verses 18 and 19, he makes two statements about his relationship with God. In verse 18, Habakkuk says, God is my salvation. In verse 19, he says, God is my strength. So verse 17 gives six pieces of evidence that could be argued that Habakkuk did not have favor with God. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't seem to have favor with God because things don't seem to be going my way. Really? Everything that's bad that could go bad is happening to Habakkuk, and yet he realizes the fact that in God's sovereignty, he still holds him. 
Habakkuk was uh, comforted by God's salvation and strength. I mean, notice the personal pronouns Habakkuk uses. My salvation, my strength. He had a proper understanding of a personal and intimate relationship. I can't stress that enough. If you're getting the word on Sunday morning and that's pretty much all you're getting it, it's hard to have a relationship. I can't claim to have a relationship with my wife if I talk to her one day a week for a couple hours in the morning. That'd be really hard. We can't have a relationship with the eternal God if I never read his word and I never have a relationship that has any depth to it. So he trusted God. Whatever happened, God would take care of him. That's faith. Living faith factors God into the outcome of every situation. The text shows us two specific ways God influences the outcome of our circumstances. First, we see that God saves. In the Old Testament, this refers to deliverance, rescue, safety. This is a sense that Habakkuk intends for people to have. This is what he knows about God to be true. In verse 17, Habakkuk envisions losing everything that was essential to life and survival. But in verse 18, he determines that he will rejoice instead. Think about it. Close your eyes if you need to this morning. Think about the thing that is overwhelming to you. Do you trust that God holds that? Do you have faith that even though that is happening to you or to someone you know or love, that God is faithful? If you're a believer, God has been with you every moment and every step of the way that you have gone through whatever it is that you have gone through. He hasn't left you. He's still on his throne. And the amazing thing about our God is not that he's some mystical, weird thing that's kind of out there like some religions are like, yeah, he's this and this and this and this and he kind of does this and this and this. He is on his throne. He reigns. And he is closer than a brother. He's relational. He is caring. He is good. We may speak boldly with him as Habakkuk does, but he is still in heaven and he sees all things from beginning to end and we are on earth and we see only a speck of time. That doesn't produce a, oh, I wish I knew more in me anymore. It used to. But God has slowly worked in me. Again, it creeps up. But he has slowly worked in me that that produces an awe. I don't see it all. I don't know all the answers. I used to be really frustrated with that more than I am today. But more often than not, it produces an awe within me. Because he is eternal. We can come confidently to the one who is our ever-present help in time of struggle. This is from, uh, from Spurgeon. We can come confidently to the one who is our ever-present help in our time of struggle but we do not come as equals, praise the Lord. Can you imagine if I had to answer all my own prayers? I, I wouldn't even get half, half right. That would be a big day for me. And yet in his sovereignty, his will, and his goodness, he's answering these things to completion. So thank God for the things that he has saved, delivered, and rescued you from. Thank God for Psalm 1846, that the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. Psalm 27.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Psalm 68, 19, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. But let's look quickly also at verse 19 where he says he strengthens us. This reference to deer's feet is a Hebrew idiom for agility. This again is from Spurgeon. Idiom for agility, speed, and sure-footedness. Habakkuk uses it to say that because the Lord is his strength, he can move joyfully through difficult circumstances like a deer dancing through a dark forest. That's some crazy imagery. But the phrase, my high places, is also a Hebrew idiom. It speaks of challenge, responsibility, or hardship. And Habakkuk says that God will make him walk on the hills. That is, God would get him through whatever troubles or trials he faces. These two things, these two pictures are comforting for us. One says that there are some things God will get us out of. The other says that there are some things that God will get us through with his presence. God will provide the strength that you need to deal with your situation. Psalm 46.1 says God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. And Isaiah 40.31 says, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is not for your football or basketball games for your team to win. But how comforting it is that he is our salvation and our strength. There's a famous poem, poem that goes this way, and I'll end with this. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary, it soothes my doubts and calms my fears, and it dries all my tears. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it shall never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain, and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it shall never lose its power. Let's pray. God, I pray that this morning as we um, come to our time of ending the worship service, I pray, God, that you would help us to realize what it is that we're trying to learn through Habakkuk, what it is that you're trying to teach us. God, that all of us are going to wrestle with and all of us are going to walk through trials and heartache and shame and pain and things that we have. But God, as we call unto you, as I look at the faces in this room and the pain that I know that people are going through, I know that it's a real, it's a real thing, God. And I know sometimes, Lord, it feels like people try to brush those things under the rug or that they try to tell us just trust God more and for some reason that's supposed to be helpful. But God, I pray that they, are, they know how to rest and worship you in the midst of the pain that they can turn to you, that they can cry out to you, that they know that they have the ability to, to ask you these things. But also I pray, Lord, that they would be resting and assured in the fact that they are crying out to one who is sovereign and eternal, not someone who is cast side by side of every whim that comes along and responding best as you can to the things that are happening. But you are resolute. You are firm. Your foundations are never shaken. You are never confused. You are never in response mode. You are never taken by surprise. You are never late. You are never unholy in what you do. Lord, I pray that we would turn back in awe and worship to you. That even in the midst of things that might be happening, we would be a people who are marked by worship 
and that we would know that we stand strongly and confidently in you because you are our salvation and you are our strength. Lord, this morning, if anybody's wrestling through this, if they're wrestling through, I don't know that peace and comfort. I don't know how to do that. If they're a believer, Lord, but they're just wrestling with something they're going through because it's so heavy, I pray that they would spend time in prayer, that, that they would come forward and ask how we can be praying for them, that they would come to the altar even after the service is over and just pray here. And if God, someone doesn't know you, and that's why they don't know that peace, that they would seek what it is to know you as the true and only Savior of their life. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're not going to do our closing song. We actually have a closing announcement that needs to be done uh, here before that. But I do uh, want to say before the announcement happens that if you are struggling, if, if Habakkuk is hard to read because of what you're going through, or if you just absolutely are laid bare by these things, the announcement doesn't end the opportunity to pray. If you want to get up during the announcement and come find me and I can go, we can go pray, if you, after the announcement, want to come forward and pray here, I'll, I'll be more than happy to pray with you or just pray over you as you pray. But don't let these things just be words that you hear on a Sunday morning and say, I'll walk out the door and I'll just kind of leave it there. Let these things produce in you who God is calling you to be and to be like him in every instance that he has called you. Go ahead.